When it comes to quality craft beer, there is no place quite like Colorado, and Colorado Keg House embraces the true essence of that, providing 75 Colorado craft beers on tap. The most unique thing about Colorado Keg House is how many beers they have on tap. I mean, there's simply a beer for everyone. They change them out regularly, and it's, it's great Colorado craft beer. I've been going there for about two years now, and I'm never disappointed. That was Lindsay, and like she mentioned, Colorado Keg House rotates their inventory each week to bring you new flavors. They also offer a great selection of Colorado wines and spirits, so you can sit back, relax, and enjoy any sport you wish on one of their 27 TVs. My favorite thing about Colorado Cake House is the atmosphere. You can bring whatever food that you want to eat in there and they have a million TVs. It feels like it's not a bad seat in the house and they've got extremely comfy couches that you can sit on and hang out with your friends and just kick back. It's, it's a great atmosphere. If you're a Colorado beer lover and you haven't checked out Colorado Keg House in Broomfield, do yourself a favor and head over there today. And don't forget to mention BSN to receive 20% off your order. Welcome in to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by In We Go. Joined by a special guest, Mason Plumlee. I thought he was going to knock that ref out in L.A. <laughs> Coaches will get testy with officials, but to run out onto the court and yeah. cut him off, yeah. I've never seen that before. You should have taken a charge on him. That <laughs> a special guest, Darrell Arthur. When did you first realize Nicole Jokic was good? He was in Philadelphia for Jameer's kind of like team bonding thing, and I knew it right away that he was going to be good. He was making great passes and good reads and stuff like that, and I said, this kid's going to be good. He's turned out to be a star. He has a great upside to him, and I know he'll be a Hall of Famer once he's done playing. And now, here's your hosts, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark. Welcome to a brand new BSN Nuggets podcast. Harrison Wind and Christian Clark here on a Friday. We are presented today by Total Beverage. Right now, Total Beverage is offering an exclusive deal for BSN listeners. If you didn't know by now, they deliver beer, wine, liquor, to spirits to anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. And for a limited time, you can get $10 off a $50 purchase on their website and app. That's the only thing, though. You got to use their website or app and use that promo code BSN10, BSN10, and you're going to save $10 off a $50 order for all your holiday parties and have it delivered right to your door. Today, recording from Blake Street Tavern, who has us down here to host the podcast every couple of weeks. Thrilled to be here as always. Make sure to check these guys out if you're in the area. Tons of TVs. Great place to watch sports. Probably my favorite place to watch sports in the downtown Denver area. Great food as well. Uh, yeah, make sure you check them out if you're down here. But I've been saying this on... Uh, the last couple podcasts, we got another win to talk about. 121-100, the Nuggets victorious over the Clippers. What a night at Pepsi Center. I was kind of unsure about this game coming in. The Clippers seemed like a tough matchup at times for Denver. They had, what, 70, 80 points in the paint in that last matchup. Michael Malone seemed a little testy with us pregame, seemed a little on edge. You could tell this was one he definitely wanted to get. But here we are the night later. Another 20-point blowout as Denver expands their lead in the Western Conference. What was one of your main takeaways from this one? Well, I was trying to figure out why Michael Malone seemed to be a little perturbed in his pregame remarks. And 
the theory I came up with, he got so pissed off watching the film of, of that game against the Clippers in L.A. That's the only time this season in 40 games the Nuggets have been blown out, which is, is still pretty impressive. They've been competitive in the other 39. And, yeah, Michael Mullen has to feel a lot better after this one. The Nuggets played a great ball game. Harrison, I just want to zoom out real quick because we're at the 40-game mark. Yeah. We're, we're nearly halfway there. 41 is obviously halfway. The Nuggets are 28-12 and 12 in first place in the Western Conference by a game and a half. They've had their starting five they envisioned on opening night for one and a half games this year. If I told you that before this year, would you have thought I was severely crossfaded? What, like, what would you have thought if I told you that? If you would have told me Denver would have missed three starters for the amount of time they did, that they wouldn't have had Will Barton since the second game of the season, that Isaiah Thomas wouldn't have logged a minute in a Nuggets uniform yet, that Gary Harris would have been in and out of the lineup, I would have told you this would be a 500 team at best. I would have yep. probably said this. the best-case scenario with all of those factors would mean Denver could be a 500 team. If Jokic was playing at an all-star level, if Millsap ha- had been the defender that we thought he would be this year, Maybe Denver could be 500, not number one in the West, not the best team from game one through game 40 of the regular season, which I think they've been. I think they've been the best team in the league uh, throughout the entire season, just from a body of work standpoint. Uh, No, I would have thought you were crazy. Every year under the Michael Malone era, the Nuggets have taken a step. They went from 33 wins to 40 wins to 46 wins. This is the first year under Malone I feel like they've taken two steps, right? I, yeah. I thought their win total was going to be somewhere between 48 and 52. It still could end up there, but this team is is definitely good enough to win 55 games. And it seems like they're one year ahead of schedule, right? Maybe this kind of rise, this kind of ascension would have happened next season. I certainly didn't expect it this season. No. You always think, yeah, you got to get to the playoffs. You got to take your bumps and bruises. But it didn't seem like that needed to happen for Denver this year. Maybe it still does for them to advance further in the playoffs. But from a regular season standpoint, they've taken two steps in a year where I think all of us expected them to take a big leap forward, but not this big of a leap. All right, so let's hit this game here. 121-100. Over the Clippers, there were so many plays to talk about, so many moments to talk about this game. Nikola Jokic had two of the plays of the year from a Nuggets perspective, that full-court Hail Mary and then the -the off-the-backboard alley-oop layup to himself. We want to start with Jamal Murray, though, who goes for 23 points, 6 rebounds, 10 of 16 shooting, 32 minutes. A really good night from him, I thought. And I feel like what we're seeing right now, and I'll open this up to you, is that Nuggets are kind of going with how Murray goes. When he has a good game, it seems like Denver's going to be in a pretty good place to win, right? Yeah. Um, I think the Nuggets are, at least in the regular season, pretty much unbeatable when Jamal Murray plays really well because you know what you're going to get from Nikola Jokic every single night. Like, we're getting MVP-level play. And you laugh there, but okay. Murray's averaging 18.5 points per game this year. When he goes over that, when he gets at least 19, the Nuggets are 16-2. and two. That, That's why I say that. They've got wins over Boston, Sacramento, San Antonio, the Clippers, Oklahoma City twice, and Toronto Raptors twice. They are so, so tough when Jamal Murray is firing. I mean, they're, they're on another level. Yeah, and it's obviously the scoring that he provides and the playmaking that he's provided more so over the last couple months than he did 
early on the season when he really struggled as a point guard and a playmaker. But it's also because of just the energy and the confidence he brings to the floor. And when he's in a rhythm, that just rubs off on everybody else. It's not only just the raw scoring and the raw assist numbers that are lifting Denver to wins when he plays really well. It's just how he lifts up the energy in the building, right? Yeah, I mean, the the Nuggets just had that swagger they when, feed off when him. Jamal's going like that. His teammates feed off him. Nikola Jokic feeds off him. Uh, Gary Harris, Malik Beasley, all those guys feed off Jamal Murray's energy. The crowd also feeds off Jamal Murray's energy, probably more than anybody else on the roster. Sure, Nikola Jokic is this team's best player, surefire all-star, worthy MVP candidate, but it's really Jamal Murray who's kind of the uh, barometer for how lively a crowd is on a nightly basis. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good point. In his 10 things column today, Zach Lowe called Murray perhaps the league's most important swing player over the next three years. If he becomes an all-star, the Nuggets could contend for a long time. If he tops out below that, Denver has some more work to do. I like Murray's chances of becoming an all-star, which means, you know, according to Zach's theory, I like uh, Denver's chances of, of being a contender here uh, year in and year out pretty soon. Yeah, what do you think his all-star ETA is? Because it's not going to happen this year. I know Kenny Smith and Charles Barkley said on TNT last night after those games wrapped up that Murray should be an all-star and Denver should have two representatives because they're first in the conference and because you're first in the West, you deserve more than one representative. It's a solid argument, but I don't think Denver necessarily deserves two All-Stars. I don't even know if Jamal Murray deserves an All-Star bid, to be honest. I think he's been a tad too inconsistent this year. I mean, Nicole Jokic certainly does. So next year, is that, a, is that, is that an accurate ETA for Murray as an All-Star? I mean, it's just so hard in the West to make the All-Star it game is. if you're a guard. You got, you got Russell Westbrook, who... And this is maybe a little of a down year in the West. Because like you said, Westbrook a little down. Jimmy Butler, he moved to the East. You don't really know what the West is going to look like a year from now. Yeah, I mean, maybe two years from now. Like, I I think Westbrook has probably got to fall off. Damian Lillard is going to be, you know, in his prime years for like another four or five years or or something like that. Steph Curry seems like a player who's going to age really well. Maybe, you know, it's a year where where Steph just gets really, really hurt. But I would say... Two years from now? Yeah, and you've got guys like Doncic, who could make the team this year, although he's a front court player technically. I don't know if that will change in future years. I think it might. Uh, you got him, who's going to be a staple in the All-Star game probably. James Harden, who's pretty good at basketball. Right. I'm just thinking of guys who are kind of fringe guys right now. Okay. De'Aaron Fox, uh, Devin Booker. A lot of those guys are, are probably going to – move into the like staple lock category or, or fringe category at least maybe not Devin Booker but Jamal Murray's right in that group I feel like yeah I mean Jamal's been been good this year he's he's been too inconsistent to be an all-star he he doesn't deserve it this year I think Jokic is probably the only guy on the team that does which which is fine but if the Nuggets are going to be a top four team or whatever for the next couple of years which is the way I think it's going then I think Jamal Murray's probably going to get a shot what do you think about this idea that, that Jamal Murray is the league's most important swing player over the next three years? Um, I was just kind of jotting down a list of other guys who are at least in the conversation. Here are some names I came up with. Andrew Wiggins, he's been pretty bad so far, but 
just the potential is there. You see in that 40-point night where he goes to the free throw line 18 times. Yusuf Nurkic, actually. Uh, Gordon Hayward, even though he's a little bit older. And OG Ananobi is, is maybe another name. What, what do you think about that list? What do you think about where Murray belongs in that conversation? I think he's more of a swing player than any, any of those guys. Like, Wiggins, I don't think the Timberwolves are going to be good enough with the core they have right now. Even if Wiggins gets to a fringe all-star status, like him and Towns, Sarich, Covington, I don't think that core stacks up to Denver's core. Um, no. OG Ananobi, he hasn't shown me enough this year. I think people might have gotten a little too excited about him last year. He's got to show me more to be in that tier. I might have been guilty of that. <laughs> <laughs> the Celtics are so good. I don't know if they necessarily need Gordon Hayward to – get back to all-star status i feel like they could be a contender even if he's not the player he was in utah um nurkic nurkic is the guy who i like the most on that list probably because i feel like we've realized what portland's ceiling is and the only way they can crack that ceiling is probably just if nurkic takes a leap i don't see damian lillard or cj mccollum taking another leap from where they are right now. Nurkic is the guy who I don't expect them to take a leap, but I guess I could see it in some world, in some way. I would say maybe there's like a 15% chance he makes that leap. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, of that list, I think Murray's clearly the most important yeah. swing player. Nurk, I think, is interesting. I think there's a pretty strong case that he's been Portland's second best player this year ahead of CJ McCollum. And that dude is crazy talented. Like, just rolling to the rim. He's an absolute monster. If he if he just, you know, simplifies things and mostly just tries to overpower people inside, then I think he's going to be fine. I, I think at times he, he's tried to play with a little much, too much finesse. But, yeah, man, he's a, a big, skilled dude, and he scares me a little bit. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, maybe a guy like Siakam in Toronto, although yeah. he's kind of fringe all-star this year. You could say if he makes that leap into all-star lock – him and Kawhi and Lowry, that's probably automatically the favorite in the East, you know, if he makes that ascension. Uh, the guys in Philly, like, obviously, if Simmons takes a huge leap, you know, that's probably an Eastern Conference finalist. Probably not going to work out for Fultz in Philly if it works out for him at all. Right, right. No, it's an interesting argument, and I agree with you. He's, in, he's the ultimate swing player for Denver, and... Um, Man, it's something else we were right about. Jamal Murray, <laughs> all-star caliber player. Everybody wanted to trade him. Everybody wanted to bench him for Monte Morris. Remember that? Yeah. That was like a month ago. Oh, it's, I mean, look, I don't want to bench him for Monte Morris. I, I think I was pretty critical of his play. I said, well, I think what I I'm said not, at the I'm time. I'm not talking about you. Okay, I'm not right. talking about you. <laughs> I just want to make sure. I think what I said was that the Nuggets could win, like, more games than their next 10, but – You've got to obviously keep starting Murray over the long haul. But I, I think a lot of people did forget that Murray averaged like 16 and a half freaking points per game on an excellent true shooting percentage last year in his age 20 season. He put up numbers that not very many players put up. I mean, we're only like six months removed from him doing that. It's it's crazy how people just flip their opinions like that. Yeah, I was never on that train whatsoever. I'm glad I wasn't. But... A great game from Murray last night. 23 points, 10 to 16 from the field, 32 minutes, an efficient game. He did have four turnovers, but hey, 
He's the point guard. He's going to turn the ball over, just like Nicole Jokic is going to turn the ball over. Let's go ahead and hit a break real quick. When we come back, we got Nicole Jokic's night to talk about and some other trends emerging with this team right now. We'll be right back here on the BSN Nuggets podcast. What's up, guys? Ryan Konigsberg here, and I got to tell you about the Blake Street Tavern. It's my favorite sports bar in town, as evidenced by the fact that we had our fantasy draft there. It's where I watched Super Bowl 48. It's where I watched CU win a Pac-12 basketball championship back in the day. Uh, it's the place to be for any sporting event. It's the biggest bar in town. I always joke you could land a 747 in there. It was named the National Sports Bar of the Year in 2017 by Nightclub and Bar Magazine. It wins Best Sports Bar in Denver seemingly every year from Westward, anyone else that's voting. It's the place to be. Uh, they've got great specials, and the food is out of this world. I recommend the nachos, the green chili fries, uh, the buffalo chicken wrap, you name it, they've got it. And the location is perfect, just two blocks north of Coors Field, and they have parking. So go check out the Blake Street Tavern. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast, presented by Total Beverage. Harris Wynn and Christian Clark here on a Friday recording down here at Blake Street Tavern, that restaurant, bar, tavern you just heard Ryan talking about there. Make sure to check these guys out if you're in the area. Let's get back into this game, though, Christian, and we might have buried the lead a little bit because Nicole Jokic's night blew up across <laughs> Twitter, across the Internet uh, last, uh, last night. 18 points, 14 rebounds, 10 assists. His fifth triple-double of the season. A beautiful night from him. He didn't hit a three, but it was 8-19 from the field in just 28 minutes. Made quick work of the L.A. Clippers. Which Jokic play was better, in your opinion? The full-court lob, or full-court Hail Mary, as I called it. I was really in a, in, on a football zone or in a football zone last night. I had, like, four Broncos-related tweets. Um, Jokic's Hail Mary or his off-the-backboard alley-oop to himself uh, for a layup in the second half. Which one was better? BSN Nuggets insider slash part-time Broncos analyst Harrison Wind. Yeah, thank you for weighing in on the Broncos. Um, I was kind of surprised. Just I was pulling the locker room on, on those two plays, and most of the Nuggets felt that Jokic's pass to himself off the backboard was the more impressive play. i got to disagree with that. Me too. I, I can do that pass off the backboard to myself. <laughs> I do that sometimes in, in summer league games. It's not that impressive, especially because he didn't go up and dunk it. Yeah. Like that's it was it was a sweet play. Don't get me wrong. Like I cackled when he did it, but it wasn't that great. I mean, the the play where he grabs the rebound off the backboard with one hand, turns in a single motion, and just fires it seventy feet down the court on the numbers. There's only one guy on earth who can make that play, and it's Nikola Jokic. Yeah, the pass was special. The pass was special, and you had Von Miller sitting courtside. He was at center court. And here, here's a little taste of the, I guess, NFL hierarchy in Denver. Von Miller sitting courtside, a center court. Philip Lindsay, Broncos running back, also at the game, except he's sitting also courtside but in the corner. He couldn't get the center <laughs> court seats. Uh, but, yeah, Von was front and center for that Jokic dime that traveled from the midway point of the Nuggets paint between their basket and the foul line to the opposing foul line where Murray caught it on the fly and then dunked it. I mean, if you give me 10 attempts, I'm not sure I could have put a pass like that on the money like Jokic did, even without a defense, even without in the heat of a game. But 
you told me this before we started recording. It definitely seemed like he knew what he was doing before he even caught that ball off the rebound, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he explained after the game that uh, Jamal was closing out on Avery Bradley's shot, and he saw that Jamal was kind of leaking out before the ball had even come to Jokic. So, man, he just sees the game like four steps ahead of everyone else. And his ability to just process information quickly and make decisions is just unreal. I mean, every night it seems like we're, we're seeing a play that nobody else in the league can pull off, only Jokic. Right, we see it, like that decision processing thing you were just saying. Like When he's coming down on the break, I don't think there's many players better in the game Like when he's got the ball at half court on a three-on-two. like That's always going to result in the bucket. And it's usually not him scoring, but he's going to find a guy for a wide-open three-pointer or just run the break perfectly and get somebody a wide-open layup or dunk. His decision-making... He always makes the right decision. <laughs> People get on him for not shooting and whatnot, but you can't get on him for ever making the wrong decision. His ability to just, in his head, go through every option he has and say, okay, uh, a Gary Harris wide open three, that probably gives us like a 35% chance to score. A Tory Craig back cut, that gives us like a 75% chance to score. Me posting up on... Uh, I don't know, DeAndre Jordan, maybe that only gives us a 25% chance to score. So he goes through all those options in his head so quickly in a split second, and then he'll dump the ball off to Torrey Craig going backdoor for the dunk. Yeah, it's like he's got a microchip in his brain that allows him to just like instantly diagnose the risk-reward of, of each option on the floor, and he almost always picks the right one. Yeah, so those two plays really stood out from this night, and Jokic goes for the triple-double. I was a little worried he wasn't going to get the triple-double. He exited at the end of the third one assist shy, I believe. Or was it one rebound shy? I think it was one assist shy at the end of the third. Denver kind of blew the game open in the fourth. Wasn't sure if he was going to come back in, but then the Clippers went on a little run. Uh, He came back in in the fourth and had a couple of those highlight plays and got that 10th assist. Oh, and he should have got that 10th assist on the pass to the backboard to himself. So is that an assist? I don't know. Yes. I, I mean, I think so. Um, you're, you're intentionally setting yourself up. I, I mean, it, it's pretty clear to see when a guy's, like, shooting it and he gets his own rebound. I don't want he's passing it to himself off the backboard. I guess. So it's either an assist or it's an offensive rebound, right? Yeah, it's an assist. It probably can't be both. No, it can't. It's, it's not a rebound because it wasn't a shot. It was a pass. True. It probably should be an assist, but they count it as a rebound. That would have been so sick if that was the play he got the triple-double Right, right. It would be a travesty if Nikola Jokic was not an all-star. And I know everybody's kind of freaking out about the fan voting. He's seventh. He's behind Steven Adams. How the heck is he behind Steven Adams? Like, where are these Thunder fans coming from? How many people live in New Zealand? But uh, he's going to get in. He was never really going to get in as a starter. But you always thought he was going to get in as a bench guy. The coaches are going to pick him. Uh He's a lot of coaches in this league is one of their favorite players. He's like Steve Kerr said he's one of his favorite players last year. And so I think he gets in as a coach's pick in one of those reserve spots. I can't wait to watch him in the All-Star game. You know I've predicted it on this podcast before, but I'm predicting he goes for 20 assists in the All-Star game. 
Let's go. Uh, coaches do love him. He's getting in, man. I feel I feel really confident about that. Every coach just seems to gush about Jokic. Coaches get it. David Fisdale called him a seven foot two Magic Johnson. It was just hilarious because you think he's as tall as Kristaps Porzingis? <laughs> Dave, I mean, David Fisdale would know. He's the <laughs> Knicks coach. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was it was pretty funny, but. Jokic is getting in. I mean, I, I feel really confident about it. Coach, coaches know how good this guy is. The whole thing with him and Von Miller last night I thought was so interesting, and I love when there's crossover between the Denver sports teams. That, that's something I love when it pertains to the Nuggets. But after the game, the two did one of those jersey exchanges that you see a lot of players do in the NBA. Everybody's doing it with Dwayne Wade this year since it's his last season. Everybody does it in the NFL right now after pretty much every game. But Jokic and Von Miller did the jersey exchange. It must have been preempted because I don't know how Von Miller just all of a sudden had a Von Miller jersey ready to go at the Nuggets <laughs> game. Uh, but they did the jersey thing after. They had a nice photo op. And here was Nicole Jokic's quote on Von Miller, which I thought was really interesting. He was asked just what it meant to get that recognition from him and just – kind of have this friendship with him and he goes it means a lot to be honest I watch him a lot just because he had an injury and he was a Super Bowl MVP but he's a defensive player I look up to the whole team I look up to him he was the MVP and he's playing defense that's what we're trying to do he's a beast animal he's something that can't be stopped he's someone that I look up to and I really really admire that he came to our game tonight thought that was a cool quote he's a defensive player who won MVP and that's what we're trying to do here that was awesome man and it made me really believe that Jokic pays attention to American football, which is not something I'd expect. I mean, it really did seem genuine that he pays pretty close attention to, to what Von Miller is doing. And Jokic just appreciates greatness, I think, ac across all sports. I mean, he, he loves tennis, big Novak Djokovic fan. Um, it, it's pretty cool, man. Um, <laughs> Jokic and Von Miller, too, just, just could not be more different, right? That's a great odd couple. Yeah. What if they just, like, developed this bromance? How perfect would that be? Yeah, I mean, a, a chicken farmer from Dallas and a horse racer from Southwest Serbia. <laughs> so I, I brought up that comment about defense and winning with defense because that's what the Nuggets were trying to do this year, and they start off the season so solid on defense, blowing out everybody's expectations. Top five in defense throughout the first couple months of the season, but they've really been sliding on that end of the floor as of late. Did not have a good road trip on the defensive end of the floor in Houston. I mean, we know what Houston does to these guys. Even in Miami. They held Miami to 99 points, but that game was played at such a slow pace. Miami still had a fairly efficient night from the field. I asked Michael Malone after this game if he thought the defense might have taken a step forward in Miami. He did not think so. On the year now, Denver is ninth in defense, pretty much what they were. Uh, before this recent game with the Clippers. And this slide goes back to November 27th. And if you look at how Denver's played on defense since that date, uh, they're the 22nd-ranked defense in the league. They're playing defense at a worse rate now since November 27th, 28th, so over the past uh, 19 games than they were all of last season. So the defense is sliding I felt like against the Clippers, they did some good things after a rough defensive first half. Uh, they locked them up late. So I would say this game was a slight step forward on the defensive end of the floor. Would you agree? 
Yeah, I, th- I thought Denver defended at a, a reasonably well level. I, I think, you know... Or reasonably of, low. Well, I think one of the main things in this game was Denver owned the glass. That was one of the differences in that meeting in L.A. The Clippers whooped the Nuggets on the glass, which you don't see very often. The Nuggets are the best rebounding team in basketball. Denver out-rebounded L.A. 53-38 to in this game, so... Controlling the glass was big. Containing one-on-one dribble penetration was pretty important. That was something that Malone was clearly not happy about after that game in Miami. He said, our inability to guard the ball one-on-one has been alarming as of late. Deion Waiters came back, hadn't played in a couple months, and went by us every time. I imagine just Malone pulling the few hairs he has on his head out uh, watching that Miami film. Well, that was my hypothesis on why he was a little testy beforehand. I can't imagine he was... He's been too happy about how his defense has been playing, and he's probably worried about a bit of regression there, especially ahead of a matchup against the Clippers where they killed Denver on the paint, and Denver did not play a good defensive game the last time these two teams matched up. So that's what I was thinking about, you know, why he was a little uh, uptight before the game. But, I mean, this was a good win. The Clippers have been hot. I think they had won 7-10 before this game. This is a quality team, a playoff caliber team. Daniil Gallinari was making his return to Pepsi Center. Uh, Denver pretty much held him in check after he hit those three threes in the uh, first quarter. Only had three field goals the rest of the way. What do you think about him coming back to Pepsi Center, the reception he got, and uh, the overall ambiance of the night with him here? Well, it's kind of weird because in in pregame intros, he got some polite clapping and cheering yeah. and then when he's at the free throw line he got booed so did he yeah i didn't even notice that yeah i i don't know I, I wasn't really sure what to think i mean you know you know how people say like this is the house that so-and-so built yeah well pepsi center was the house that gallo kind of sort of kept the lights on for a couple <laughs> years though so right yeah I, I felt like you know getting cheered in intros and then booed when he's at the free throw line yeah that was about right carmelo anthony probably built pepsi center Daniel Gallinari just provided some patch-up work over the yeah. last couple of seasons. Yeah, I mean, he was solid. He, repaired, he missed a bunch he re- of games. He repaired the roof a couple times, fixed the windows, uh, painted, the, painted the house maybe once or twice. He did some nice tune-ups, all right? Spruced it up a bit. Uh, no, I, I, I thought it was interesting because when the Clippers were here last year, Daniel Gallinari wasn't playing, but that's when Denver opted to play the tribute video for him. So I was expecting that this time around, too. And when it didn't happen in the first quarter, I turned to a couple people on Media Row. I was like, where's the tribute video? And then I was like, oh, they did it when he came last year and he wasn't playing. But yeah. I'm glad that he got a nice ovation during pregame intros. He deserved it. He had some good years here. He was Denver's best player on a lot of those early 2010 to 2012, 13 teams. And he agreed at shoot-around with my point that this Clippers team is kind of reminiscent of that 2012 Nuggets team that won 57 games from a personality standpoint, from a play style standpoint. So uh, Daniel Gallinari backing up one of my assertions there. Yeah, I can see that comparison. Uh, Quick aside, did you see Jamal Crawford's tweet during the game? Yeah, I did. Michael Malone, coach of the year so far. No one would have had Denver number one in the West at this point. I got to agree with Jamal Crawford. I got Malone one and Mike Budenholzer number two. Yeah, I'm with you. I have Mike Malone one clearly. I do feel like the consensus is, is Budenholzer, though. Do you? Yeah, because the Nuggets get no respect. <laughs> They're the Rodney Dangerfields of the NBA. They are. 
and the narrative with Boonholzer is so easy, right? Oh, he replaced Jason Kidd, and he took them into the 21st century, and now they're shooting all these threes, and all of a sudden Giannis is an MVP candidate. Like, look, Nuggets haven't had their full starting lineup since the second game of the season, all right? Michael Malone's done an incredible job. Give that man and give this team some respect. Mike Boonholzer is a really good coach, too, but he probably looks a little bit better than he is because they had maybe the worst coach in all of basketball last right. year. It's just like, you know, a respectable, nice boyfriend with a good job following up, like a boyfriend who is in and out of jail with like a dragon tattoo on his forearm or something like that. When you started that sentence with Mike Budenholzer looks, I thought you were going to go into some tangent about his resting face. <laughs> the confused Mike Budenholzer look that we all love. Mike Budenholzer is exasperated. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, does he have that face when he's, like, eating dinner with his wife and kids? <laughs> like, Mike, what's wrong with the meatloaf? He's like, oh, it's fine, and he just has that look on his face. Just thinking about why Giannis can't make threes anymore or can't make threes still. And I got to say this, too. Like, it's not that brilliant of a strategy to, to surround Giannis with shooting. Like, they did a good job of filling in the roster. Like, getting Brooke Lopez and yeah. getting him to shoot 10 threes a game was good, but, like, me and you could have figured out that we probably should have surrounded Giannis right. with shooting. It seemed like Jason Kidd was actively sabotaging the Milwaukee Bucks like trajectory yeah. by how he, by how that roster was filled out and how that team played. Yeah. Didn't take a uh, rocket oh, scientist to come in here and say, oh, man, if we space the floor for an MVP caliber guy who's not a good shooter, maybe that will open things up for him. A guy who's better at Le than LeBron at scoring in the paint. Maybe we should create space for him. Yeah, light years, light years thinking by uh, Mike Budenholzer. Now, he's done a good job. I think he's two right now, but uh, I think Malone is pretty clearly one, and it's going to be a really cool moment, I believe, for the Nuggets if Denver holds on to the best record in the league by early February, and he's coaching in the All-Star game. I looked it up. Mike D'Antoni was named coach of the – well, coach of Team Steph last season on February 4th. So I'm guessing, or I think that's the date where Houston clinched the best record in the West prior to the All-Star break. I think they had a big lead in the West at that point. So um, we'll be waiting for Denver to clinch that best record in the West if they hang on for another about a month here, a little less than a month. And uh, Mike Malone is coaching Team LeBron or Team Luka, possibly. Let's go. <laughs> I think one of the things that Malone probably doesn't get enough credit for is his ability to develop young players because with Will Barton and Gary Harris missing significant chunks at the early part of the season, Nuggets have really had to ask Malik Beasley and Juancho Hernan Gomez to, to fill in those gaps, and both those guys have done a great job. Malik Beasley started for the second time this season against the Clippers. Uh, it went a lot better for him than that game against Miami. Yeah, for sure. I didn't think he was bad necessarily in that game against Miami, but I felt like he had a little starting lineup jitters. But this game, he looked a lot more comfortable. And, uh, yeah, he goes for 15 points, hit a couple threes, was on the floor late in crunch time, and those reps are doing a lot for him. He looks so much more comfortable than he did at the beginning of the season. The biggest thing with him is he's a really capable shooter right now. Last year he was so inconsistent with his three-point shot. He had a lot of really bad misses, but... I mean, he had a huge summer. Uh, just so many reps. He got up like 20,000 shots this summer. And it's paid off. 
Uh, the hard work has paid off for him. We've spoken about him so much on this podcast over the year, but he's really just scratching the surface of what he's capable of. I mean, the ceiling that he's got is crazy. He's got such a high ceiling right now. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that he can be a starting two on a decent NBA team one day. He, he still has a ways to go to get to that point. He's got to be more consistent. I still, still think there are times when he takes some, some shots that make me cringe a little bit, like threes with 19 seconds left in the shot clock. Um, he needs to, I think, be a little more focused on the defensive end, but there's no question that the talent is there to, to be a starting caliber two in this league. Definitely. And it's tough. We've talked about this Beasley and Wancho debate so often here. Because it might be a decision Denver has to make a year from now. I don't think they should rush to make that decision at this trade deadline. I think they should keep this group together, even if they're getting offered, say, a first-round pick for Beasley, something in the late teens or early 20s. I feel like they should stand pat on a deal like that right now and maybe revisit that next year at this time because that's when you'd really have to make a decision on one of those guys. Uh, But... I mean, it's going to be a tough call, I think, between those two. Maybe Malik has a slightly higher just individual ceiling, but Wancho is a more natural fit with what this team wants to do and how this team plays. But I made this point in a feature I wrote on Beasley that's up on bsndenver.com right now. Beasley has a ceiling that's like 20 points per game and as a lockdown defender on the perimeter – and I don't know if Wancho will ever be any of those things, right? No, no. I mean, Beasley's uh, ceiling is pretty scary, and it's a really interesting debate because Wancho is the better fit roster-wise, but that just might not matter with how good Beasley could get. I mean, his two-way potential, we know that the Nuggets probably need strong perimeter defenders moving forward, and Malik Beasley could really be that guy who's got high 30s, low 40s, three-point potential. Yeah, I'm still going Wancho, but it's a fun argument to have. It's a fun discussion to have for sure. So he's really breaking out here. It's going to be interesting to see what happens when Gary Harris gets back, which should be in the next couple of games, when Will Barton gets back, which looks like will probably happen Saturday in Phoenix. Denver upgraded him to questionable. Malik has been playing 25 30 plus minutes he played 31 minutes last night against the Clippers we're probably going to see his minutes go down when those guys when a Gary Harris when a Will Barton get up to their 30 minute per night threshold he's probably going to be playing what 15 to 20 a game like that's going to be a tough transition yeah I mean uh, one of the talking points with the Celtics this early part of the season one of the reasons they've struggled is they've just got too many good guys and I've heard that line of thinking before I heard it with some of those Rockets teams uh, a couple years back, even before they had James Harden. But do you do you think that's a thing that you can have too many good guys and it can affect winning because their guys just unhappy that they're not playing enough? I think that's a valid argument. Like you said, if you have guys with personalities who are more about themselves than the success of the team, I think that can definitely be a problem. Uh, But I think fortunately for Denver, they've made it a priority to bring in high-character guys to their organization. And I think Beasley fits into that. I think Wancho fits into that. Really, everybody up and down this roster fits that mold. I don't think that's going to be a problem with guys in Denver. So 
I've heard that argument before. Like maybe you have too many guys. I don't think that's an issue when you have guys who only care about team success. The Nuggets are, I think, have among the best chemistry in the league. Yeah. I think Michael Malone even said it after that game last night. Like He mentioned how connected they were. He's had a lot of really good quotes about the chemistry lately, about how everybody just loves each other and plays for each other. It makes you feel good inside. It's it's so difficult to, to have chemistry like this in the NBA. Like there, there are just so many variables at play, so many egos, guys trying to get paid. Uh, I mean... Nuggets are at a special place right now. There's so much turnover in the NBA, too. And you look at a lot of the core of this team. This is a core who's been together largely for three seasons. Gary Harris, Will Barton, Nikola Jokic, Wancho, Malik Beasley. Those five guys who are all playing central roles for Nuggets this season. Obviously, Will Barton's been hurt, but if healthy, they'd all be playing central roles for this team this year. All those guys have been together for the last three years. Most of those guys came into this organization straight out of the draft. And uh, if they didn't, they were like Will Barton, who still came here really early on in his career. They've grown together. They've been at the bottom of the Western Conference together. They've been in the middle of the Western Conference together. Now they're at the top of the Western Conference together. All of those guys have come into the league and grown leaps and bounds as players alongside one another. I think there's something to that, and I think that's a big reason why this team is so connected and chemistry on this team is so high right now. All right, let's hit another break. When we come back, a certain Nuggets starter could be making his return in Phoenix on Saturday. We'll touch on what that means on the other side. We'll be right back. When it comes to quality craft beer, there is no place quite like Colorado. And Colorado Keg House embraces the true essence of that, providing 75 Colorado craft beers on tap. The most unique thing about Colorado Keg House is how many beers they have on tap. I mean, there's simply a beer for everyone. They change them out regularly, and it's, it's great Colorado craft beer. I've been going there for about two years now, and I'm never disappointed. That was Lindsay, and like she mentioned, Colorado Keg House rotates their inventory each week to bring you new flavors. They also offer a great selection of Colorado wines and spirits, so you can sit back, relax, and enjoy any sport you wish on one of their 27 TVs. My favorite thing about Colorado Cake House is the atmosphere. You can bring whatever food that you want to eat in there, and they have a million TVs, it feels like. It's not a bad seat in the house, and they've got extremely comfy couches that you can sit on and hang out with your friends and just kick back. It's, it's a great atmosphere. If you're a Colorado beer lover and you haven't checked out Colorado Keg House in Broomfield, do yourself a favor and head over there today. And don't forget to mention BSN to receive 20% off your order. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by Total Beverage. Harrison Wynn and Christian Clark here on a Friday at Blake Street Tavern. Final note from this game here. We should probably at least mention Mason Plumley's line. 17 points, 12 rebounds, 5 assists on 7 of 8 shooting, plus 15 in 20 minutes with a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar skyhook thrown in there. <laughs> he had a good night too. And Monte Morris had a productive evening as well. 14 points on 6 of 12 shooting, 4 assists, 0 turnovers from Monte Morris. So Saturday in Phoenix could be a big moment for Denver. I guess I'll preface it by saying 
Will Barton upgraded to questionable on the Nuggets injury report here on Friday afternoon for the first time since he was declared out following that surgery back at the beginning of the season uh, when he went down with that really painful injury in the second game of the season. I mean, I almost forget how Will Barton plays. I almost forget what it's <laughs> what it feels like watching this guy play. He's just been out for so long. Well, he does a lot of wild stuff, Harrison, and it's really entertaining. Uh, quick refresher there. Yeah, man, I mean, what's this been, 38 games? I mean, he's almost missed half the season, essentially. Yeah. It's, it's a chunk of games that is almost similar to the, the 44 Paul Millsap missed last year, which is crazy to think about. That is crazy to think about. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, Will Barton, um, I, I expect him to, to really ease back into a role. Like, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he's playing between 10 and 15 minutes a night for a couple of games. The Nuggets just seem to be really cautious with, with how they're bringing him back. But I'm pumped, man. I mean, we spent all summer talking about the starting five. We've seen it for one and a half games so far this year. Somehow, magically, the Nuggets are 28-12, and 12, top spot in the Western Conference. I mean, I just think there's so much more room for this offense to go up than it already has been, which is a pretty scary thought. I mean, they've been this, this top 10 offense without Barton for almost all the season, without Harris for significant portions of it, without Millsap. Well, I think when all five guys are there, I mean, we're really just going to see some magic happen. And like I mentioned when talking about the defensive slide since November 28th, the offense has been what's won games for Denver. I mean, the Nuggets are the fifth best offense in the league over that span. And on the year, yeah, they're still top ten. They are actually – Sixth overall? Is that right? Wow. Sixth overall in offense on the year? I thought they were a little lower than that. Uh, But this streak or this run that they're on where their defense hasn't played super well, their offense has been carrying them. And, yeah, sure enough, they're all the way up to sixth. But I agree. It can get to another level. And that's a little scary. Yeah, I agree with you. I expect them to take it really slow when he comes back. And I'm sure he'll come off the bench for a couple games like Gary Harris and Paul Millsap did. Maybe even a larger number of games than those two guys did because he's just been out for so long. And you know, it's his first major injury, his first surgery. With how long it took for him to get back, you could definitely read the tea leaves and kind of come to a conclusion that he wanted to take this process super slow and not come back until he felt like his body was ready. And so here he is. I do think he comes back in this game against the Suns, though. This follows the protocol that the Nuggets have followed with Gary Harris and Paul Millsap, right? Move them to questionable, bring them back in a road game against the Phoenix Suns, not at altitude, ease them back in against an opponent like that. I mean, it's a pretty good strategy, to be honest. Bring them back against the Bad News Bears. Uh, I I probably shouldn't slander the Suns like that. DeAndre Ayton had what, like... 35 points the last time they played. The last time somebody slandered the Suns in a podcast, we all know what happened. <laughs> I always get the sense from talking to Jokic the last couple seasons, one of his favorite guys to play with on the Nuggets is Will Barton. He just, he just seems to, to love playing with Barton. Those two guys seem to have great chemistry together. And I, I think that Barton is a much better playmaker than he often gets credit for. Like Barton can get a little shot happy at times, but... I think Barton, there's a case to be made that he's the third best playmaker on this roster behind Jokic and Monte Morris. Jamal has certainly gone up a level as the season's gone on, but 
I think this offense is going to look even better than it already has, probably top three over the second half of the season, just because Will Barton can put the ball on the floor, he can knock down the outside shot, and he can find Jokic on that role as well as other open men. Well, playmaker is such a loose word. There's not like a standard definition of it. I'd probably say he's the second best playmaker on the team behind Jokic. It's more of a threat to score probably than Monte Morris in the pick and roll and whatnot. And maybe not as good of a natural distributor or pure distributor as Monte Morris, but can definitely find guys out of the pick and roll and whatnot. His return, what do you think his return is going to do for Murray? Because early on this season, I think our argument was Murray didn't look as good because playing alongside Will Barton really helped him out last year. It really allowed him to play off ball some, not have to do so many of the things that you have to do as a point guard. And we know Jamal is really good off ball and really good as a a natural scorer. And sometimes it seemed like at the beginning of the season, handling those natural point guard duties kind of contributed to some of his poor play. And we thought Barton taking that pressure off him would have really helped. But the thing is now, Murray is playing at a much higher level than he did earlier in the season when we were making that argument. So how do you see Barton's return kind of impacting Murray in terms of what Murray's production looks like and just how he plays once Barton is back in the starting lineup alongside him? Yeah, Murray has definitely improved as a pick-and-roll ball handler, as a pick-and-roll passer as the season's worn on. Um, I am a believer that, you know, Barton will be able to take some of the load off, off Murray in that respect. And I, I do think it'll help Murray a little bit. I, I think you'll probably see better efficiency numbers from Jamal the second half of the season. I think you might even see better efficiency numbers from Jokic over the second half of the season. Jokic's best season efficiency-wise was 2016-17, and that was with you know Wilson Chandler and Danilo Gallinari in the lineup alongside him a bunch of the times. Both those guys can put the ball on the floor, shoot it, and handle the ball. So, yeah, I mean, I think Barton makes the Nuggets that much more dangerous on offense and that much more efficient. Um, I, just when you have that many guys who can do a little bit of everything, it, it, it just makes you so difficult to stop. Yeah, and he also gives Denver a little bit of an edge personality-wise. He's definitely, he can get up into guys. He's not afraid to mix things up. Bring a little nasty to the Nuggets roster, uh, for sure. I think sometimes they're missing a little of that. Also, with his return, I think it's going to help out some of the role players on this team because with the injuries, they've been stretched a little thin, those guys. The Torrey Craigs of the world, the Malik Beasleys of the world. I know Malik has been playing really well in 30-plus minutes a night, but he's best when he's in that 20 to 25-minute-per-game role, probably. Same with Torrey. Same with... And Wancho, who I think we're seeing a lot of the effects of the increased minutes he's played this year. And he told us last night he's going through some groin soreness right now. And it seems like he's in a lot of pain, but hats off to him for playing through it. Uh, So he can get his minutes dialed back a little. He played like 277 minutes last year. He's already well up over 1,000 this year. So a huge increase there. And you wonder if that has to do with uh, the fatigue possibly a little as well. So getting those guys' minutes down to the low 20s, that can help, right? I think Wancho, I mean, you've especially seen it from him. He's he's not used to having to deal with this type of load and carry this type of load for a team. It's dramatic increase in minutes from where he was at last year. I mean, 
Wancho wasn't even really a part of this rotation last year. He was he was a non-factor. So, yeah, fatigue and, and that groin issue. I don't know how much they're separate, how much they're related, but reduced minutes for Wancho would definitely be a good thing. I want to end here with a little anecdote from last night on the subject of this team's chemistry and how tightened everybody is. We know how much Trey Lyles has been struggling this year. He goes 3 of 11 last night, 1 of 4 from 3. Not a great night individually for him, but he was still plus 12 in 22 minutes. He didn't kill Denver when he was on the floor, I don't think. But there was a moment last night where, I believe it was when Trey Lyles hit the 1-3 he did hit. And nobody cheered louder in Pepsi Center on the Nuggets bench for Lyles when he hit that shot than Nikola Jokic did. Jokic got up. He was waving his towel around. He took a couple steps off the bench, was yelling at Lyles as he jogged back on defense. We've talked about how Jokic is cognizant of when Lyles has been in a slump, trying to set him up for easy baskets and whatnot, and when other guys on his team are in a slump, and he tries to get them going. But I just thought that was a cool moment last night and just kind of ties in with what we were talking about earlier, how connected this team is. And Jokic is the prime example, right? He sets the, he sets the culture that way from the top down. He's more excited for other guys on this team to succeed than he is for his own success. And I think that speaks volumes. Yeah, I mean, I think Jokic is the biggest reason why the Nuggets have this this unselfish vibe around them. Nobody cares who gets the credit because their best player doesn't give a crap. I mean, it was the same thing with the Spurs. Uh, Greg Popovich certainly had a lot to do with that. I mean, maybe the greatest leader ever in terms of NBA coaches. That they, they brought in the right types of guys who are hardworking, but... It all worked because of Tim Duncan. That was the biggest reason, and I think it's the same thing with the Nuggets. Yeah, the Tim Duncan comparison is, is spot on. little different in terms of personality, I think, but kind of similar in some ways. It's yeah. interesting. Jokic is funnier, um, a little more gregarious. but They were both so funny. Jokic is just a little more outgoing, I think. Yeah, I, I, I can definitely see that. Uh, didn't Tim Duncan have a Joker tattoo on his shoulder, too? It was like a jester. Am I just making that up? Did he? That would be crazy. He has a Joker tattoo. That would be nuts. That would really help out this comparison a lot. Oh, my God. Yes, he does have an angry jester tattoo on his on his back. I got it. On his back? Is it like a tramp stamp? No, no. It's on <laughs> his shoulder. I got to look this up real quick as we're wrapping up this show. I knew it. Wow. Keep that third he eye does. open, Harrison. That's unbelievable. All right, well, I think that's a good way to end the show. Hell of a win for Denver the other night, 121-100 over the Clippers. Again, recording today from Blake Street Tavern. If you're in the area, make sure you check these guys out. Probably my favorite sports bar in Denver. Have a good weekend, guys. We'll be back for another episode soon. Talk to you then. Dr. Rick and his team at Belmar Chiropractic focus on getting to the root cause of your problem instead of chasing symptoms. The results have been like above and beyond anything I could have ever expected. My pain is completely gone, full of energy, even throughout my entire pregnancy. He was able to adjust me and it sounds crazy to say, but like no back pain throughout my whole pregnancy. That was just really amazing. It's better than anything I could have expected for sure. 
That was Caitlin. Like her, many people who had looked everywhere and tried everything finally found relief and healing at Belmar Chiropractic. It makes you feel really comfortable because he always tells you what he's doing before he actually does it. So I always felt really, really comfortable and they're all so warm and welcoming as well, which is always great. Dr. Rick can help decrease anxiety and depression, reduce stress, improve mental focus and clarity, provide better quality of sleep, boost your immune system, and so much more. He's definitely the most knowledgeable chiropractor I've ever been to, and I actually have recommended him to many, many of my friends and coworkers. Give Belmar Chiropractic a call today at 303-233-1236.